0: Do this let's talk about talk. Welcome to Talk About Talk. I'm Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Today we're talking about taboo language. Yes, profanity. Before I get going, you need to know something. There are two versions of this podcast available. This is the explicit version, the swear words are not bleeped out. If you want to flip to the clean version, It's also available on the TalkAboutTalk.com website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, the show notes with the key learnings, references, and the transcript are clean. The swear words are bleeped out. You can find the show notes on the TalkAboutTalk.com website. If possible, I recommend that you listen to the explicit version. Of course, if these words personally offend you, or if there are young ears around, you should probably listen to the clean version. Otherwise, there are two main reasons why I recommend the explicit version. First, our guest expert, Professor Darren Flynn, is not at all gratuitous with the profanity. And in fact, there are some words that he refuses to say, as you'll hear in a moment. And secondly, it'll be much easier for you to follow along if you listen to the explicit version, since you'll hear exactly what words we're talking about. Okay. So, given the controversial or taboo nature of profanity, I was a bit nervous about this interview. A few months ago, when I told people that I was doing this episode, I got some very strong responses. I heard, Oh no! Well, you'll have to bleep out all the swears, right? And then I also heard, Awesome! Can't wait to hear it! So, I told our guest expert, Professor Darren Flynn, about these varied reactions, and he told me that there are actually certain personality types that are more accepting of profanity. By the end of this podcast, you'll learn about these personality types, the type of people who are more or less likely to swear. You'll also learn types of swear words, how they evolve over time, the myths associated with profanity, and lots more. So as I said, I was a bit nervous about this episode, but after interviewing Professor Darren Flynn, my nervousness shifted to excitement. I couldn't wait to get this podcast released. Darren is easygoing, undeniably friendly, and extremely knowledgeable about profanity and actually about language in general. I'm going to introduce Professor Darren Flynn to you now and then get right to the interview. As always, I'll sum up with key learnings. These key learnings, along with references and the full cleaned up transcript, are available on the Talk About Talk website. Okay, here goes. Darren Flynn is Associate Professor and Chair of Linguistics at the University of Calgary. His areas of interest and expertise include phonology, that is how the mind organizes speech sounds into utterances, indigenous languages, rap music, and, most relevant for today's podcast, taboo language. When Darren and I first connected, I told Darren how I did my undergraduate degree in marketing at the University of Calgary where he now teaches. He immediately went into the connection between marketing and swearing.
1: A connection between uh, swearing and, and marketing, uh, it's sometimes it's just about getting a bit of an edge and swearing can give you that, but people will just stand on the edge of something and, and get away with it. The, the most striking example is probably the uh, French Connection UK, right? Which was such a successful campaign. <laughs> so, <laughs> is, so
0: recently, my 10 year old daughter saw <laughs> someone wearing a, sh- uh, you know, a hoodie that said FC UK. And she s- did a double take and then she looked at me and her eyes went bug eye. I told her exactly what you just said. It's a marketing ploy. It actually stands for French Connection United Kingdom, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh my gosh, why would <laughs> you wear that? I said, you just looked at her. Again, with bug eyes. That's why she's wearing it. That's why it exists.
1: It really works, yeah. Well, just Darren's fine, please. The whole point of swear words is that it just creates an informal aura, so it just creates a a strange disconnect between, I find, Professor Flynn and then saying shit and fuck. It's just, it feels like you'd give yourself an epileptic seizure by kind of going back and forth between the two, because they're in such two different modes, that even my brain would have a hard time moving back and forth.
0: So. That, that could be your brand, though. You're that guy.
1: Yeah, I, I just prefer Darren, if you don't mind. Yeah.
0: I don't mind at all. Yeah. Thank right. you very much, Darren, for yeah. joining us here today. I thought it would be best, perhaps, to start with a more, I guess, technical question. Is there a certain sound that makes a word more likely to stay in our vernacular as a swear word?
1: Yeah, it's something short and cut off. It's a swear word has the effect of making you go, oh, and uh, that's pretty much what defines a swear word. And that oh, feeling is usually uh, it starts with in childhood when uh, you say you talk about something taboo, and then somebody will cut you off, or you realize yourself and you cut yourself off. So the the best swear words tend to be really short words that are cut off. So you don't want to kind of drag on. If you have a long word, so especially in English, we associate anything that's like two or three or more syllables, uh, something that's um, uh, a fancy-schmancy word, uh, whereas uh, like a nice little one-syllable word is, uh, is a good, short, informal word, and it doesn't carry on. And uh, it's also been found, some research by Ben Bergen, who wrote this lovely book called What the Fuck, um, and he's a cognitive scientist uh, in California who noticed that uh, largely... Uh, English words, even one-syllable words, would have an equal chance of ending with a sound that, um, we call these words sometimes sonorant, so that includes words like, uh, sounds like vowels, but also, um, uh, sonorous consonants are things like M, N, L, R, W, they're a bit softer, Okay. and on the other extreme are, uh, harsh, uh, cut-off sounds, which we call stops, Uh, Like PTK are the the best examples, but also BDG. And uh, so it's about a 50-50 chance of ending in one of those at the ends of words in general. But in swear words, uh, they're by far, um, the cutoff uh, forms are much more common. So they're like, uh, shit, fuck, you know, things that end with P to cut off really quickly.
0: That makes sense. And actually, your face lit up like this. I was thinking the word shock. Right?
1: It's shock.
0: Fuck. They're shocking words.
1: So there is some truth to the four-letter word uh, in that it tends to be a word that begins with a consonant and then ends with a consonant. And it just so happens with uh, English writing that we often will write, you know, with um, CK or or, um, P. We'll write it with double P or something. You can actually make a word more vulgar sounding if you shorten it. So uh, they, they are, uh, you know, words like Hispanic, if you say spic, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for the, it's a slur, but that means it's an offensive word for Hispanic people. Right. And uh, Ben Bergen uh, was uh, given one by his students recently for uh, people that have Asperger's. Um, uh, they'll call them spurg, spurg, just an ending with, Consonant like g, but also just a one syllable, and this is really quite common. So, you'll find one of the most offensive words nowadays is the word uh, retard, but the most offensive words nowadays are the, the slurs. And uh, so, you this get is worse by when you say tard when you shorten it.
0: Oh, wow! So, a doubly offensive term,
1: yeah, it is um, culturally determined. So, it's in a cultural context, you, uh, you say the word cock or whatever, even even. As a little kid, without in a context where you would't even have heard that word, but the adults around you will go oh, like that, and then once they've done that, you realize, oh, it creates that effect, and then maybe uh, you'll even be told off and and and, and in traumatic uh, cases, uh, you'll have people uh, you know get their mouths washed out and and uh, so they'll associate a whole.
0: It's amazing when I tell people about this episode that I'm doing. How I started by this is getting Professor into the Darren topic Flynn of taboo, but I call how him some people Flynn are like really, or and some people His are like awesome. Set the tone for yeah, the rest well, of the conversation. People that
1: go one way or another, it aligns with different personality types. That some people are uh, like, people are likely to say awesome. The people are like to go. You might have heard of Jonathan Haidt, who talks about. Uh, he had a really popular TED talk a few years ago. Where he's showing the sculpture of David, I think it is, and 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 uh, they'll have two people, and one will just be uh, just transfixed by the beauty, uh, just like awesome. That like this is gorgeous. This is another person will be kind of uncomfortable with
0: the n- the nudity, you know, the,
1: the penis or something. It's just and and so uh, he was just pointing out that you could you could tell right on the spot a whole lot about those two people, and uh, so like one, wow. uh, which one was more likely to vote for George Bush, say, and you know everybody would, had a sense of who was more conservative. And uh, th- this is important because a lot of these uh, personality traits are kind of a set in advance. Uh, they're, people are, tend to often be born with these predispositions. When you have people reacting one way or another to a swear word, it's, it tells you a lot about them.
0: Back to the technical part of cursing. Can swear words be categorized?
1: So there's the, the, the ones that are um, rooted in um, taboo topics. So, and, and often they don't really make sense for a kid. They might have an innate sense of things that are filthy, like poop or pee or something, but it's all the way people react to, you know, Ew, gross, you know, all the sense of disgust. And, and you, you tend to associate certain areas with uh, uh, that that gut reaction. And it's it, I have to say it's often negative. Right. Uh, so
0: there's filth, there's sex, there's religion right, and deity,
1: right? That's right. So the, And, and they, they have some commonalities. Uh, there's a sense of um, taboo. will have, like, filth and sex are things that should be kind of indoors, you know, closed in, in private. A lot of people feel that way about, um, yeah, about pretty much any kind of body function. But a lot of it related to indoors or outdoors is a sense of a boundary. A really good analogy in your American context is this concept of the wall, uh, building the wall. It's uh, what people that want a wall versus people that don't. Um, So the the wall protects, first of all, insides and outside people. So uh, slurs, for instance, are just famously, they mark in the worst way possible, somebody who's an insider versus outsider. us versus them. Yeah, and um, I think um, the sense of disgust that people have with body parts and and body functions and so on is often uh, tied up with that too. It has to do with um, basic survival. People, you know, we we know people do get wiped out by diseases, and people will often associate uh, outsiders with um, danger or diseases. And there's a strong biological sense to mark things outside or inside, and you want to keep track of this. And uh, this means that uh, setting up boundaries also relates to morals. So, you know, do you have sex with your mother? Do you have sex with your sister? Do you have, you know, these these are all setting up moral boundaries. Again, there's biological reasons for that. It's not really clear whether chicken or egg thing, what, with what created the taboo or not. Uh, but all those morals, too, end Interesting. up being... Uh, Taboos, and so the, the point is that this is where swear words come from. Is all these uh, these areas where you know you don't have sex with your mother, so like motherfucker, or you know, uh, uh, or um, even uh, whether you're homosexual or not, right? Uh, Cock sucker, like the worst possible offensive terms are. Um, so I think you can probably come up with a unified theme through all of them. Uh, it's it is associated with basic emotions like uh, fear. But strangely enough, uh, at that moment when something is really kind of intimidating, there's an opportunity for excitement too. We're funny creatures, and and so both the positive and the negative are activated at the same time, and it's, it's something really strange. And mm-hmm. So uh, you can get these reversals where awe can become awesome. Right. And
0: um, awful and awesome. To be
1: true. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, so uh, a really nice, more recent example is uh, shit. So um, shit will be uh, associated historically, semantically with uh, just something that's very repellent and, you know, it's it's disgusting and it's very, uh, it's full of germs and it'll kill you. It's something you want to avoid. But then um, people will talk about this. This is the shit. Right. right I'm I'm, I'm the shit. And that's because... uh, meanings are, are complicated because you first of all we all know that um, when one meaning is activated the opposite meaning is activated too so when you when you think, think of something big then you think of small or when you think something you know dirty it kind of activates the concept of clean too you define light with darkness or uh, so you could say that light is the absence of darkness for instance. Um, and or, or, or good is like the absence of evil, or, or truth is the absence of lying. And so, you can often uh, part of the definition of something is its opposite. One of the more famous examples was that example I gave you of, you know, awful versus awesome, where you see the word awe has that double meaning. Uh, shit is another great example. There's a whole bunch of detail, interesting detail in, in the meanings that you can build off. So, when you take a word like shit, there's something really raw and real about it it's like it, there's nothing more real than shit it yeah, stinks it's ugly <laughs> it's ugly it stinks and and so when somebody says that they're the shit uh, they you understand that they're real they're grounded they're hmm. they're they're good oddly enough it's a positive term but it's not in some airy fairy uh angelic way is like it's it's grounded and in reality. So it's not that the meaning of shit is completely gone. And so the the way meaning is activated is is quite fun.
0: Another example of of what you're saying with the words, um, activating the opposite and then the meaning changing, but still maintaining the original meaning is the word sick, right? If you're sick, you're going to die. And then now I'm sick or that was sick is like the ultimate compliment
1: awesome and and you see how that's another term that's rooted in that like biological sense of trying to keep, stay alive uh not being sick um and uh, the sense of disgust that i described earlier that d- defines so much or or uh, sickness is something usually you'd want to avoid and get away from the person says this is sick is like the the snowboarder was kind of going down right this,
0: they're this taking planet. risks
1: they're willing to accept the outside, you know, they're, they knock down boundaries, and that's the classic line between introvert and extrovert. And so the extrovert is the one that is uh, open to the outside, open to new experiences, and um, is willing to knock down some or jump over boundaries. And allow for the possibility of sickness, offense, meeting new things, but also the the payoff is is great. And so the the cons- more conservative type, the introverted person, is a person who would rather not take the risk. And so the the point I the reason I'm mentioning this is because extroversion is strongly correlated with uh, your swearing rate is uh, <laughs> if you're an extrovert versus introvert, it's. it's it's quite predictive.
0: So you use the term in an email to me, use the term sweariness, which I had never heard before, but I love it. So it's, it's. Mm-hmm. so your, um, your responses on the Myers-Briggs scale for introvert versus extrovert scale um, is correlated with your sweariness. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Oh God, I did the Myers-Briggs when I was a teenager. Yeah, I'm an ENFJ, I remember. So the, the extroversion d- determines your, when, so for instance if you ask hey do, would you like to do a podcast i'm like sure i get to get to meet somebody new and stuff right. but it'll, it'll also correlate the topic is uh swearing it's like oh that sounds interesting and like i said you you can almost predict the kind of person who's likely to work in this area and be willing to take speak to somebody on a podcast based on how uh it originates in repression in a way once the word is released it's like it is a release it's, it, it's cathartic it, it, it breaks the ice, you know, and and that's just famous. So if you're like you know, having a really uncomfortable meet business meeting where people don't know each other, and it's just people are doing small chat, talking about the weather, but you can tell there there's some there might be might be some professional tension there because the people are working in the same area and there's a bit of competitiveness. And uh, but then as soon as you know somebody I don't gets a paper cut or something and says Are you okay? And and they say Oh yeah, it hurts like a motherfucker it's just that moment you know the is the turning point of the you know a great dinner conversation and people having fun and, and it's really it does allows everybody's brains to um, to uh, relax in that way uh, this is research by uh steven pinker i think was yep. the one who originated this idea that he associated swear words with that part of the brain that triggers the flight or fight response and it, I think it's it's really true where you get. Uh, I mean, it's related to what we were talking about before, is where the stakes are raised, and um, at that moment it just brings out a little bit more out of yourself to, uh, in in a public context. To. Uh,
0: so yesterday, a friend of mine was telling me that she paid thousands of dollars to see Tony Robbins, and mm-hmm. he swears like a fucking sailor. Have you she seen does.
1: him? does and I, I think it's really effective and uh, and yet it's respectful that I, I watched his netflix at um, there's a documentary on him on netflix oh. and really it's really good it was it was really good and yeah he swears uh, a lot and i think it do, it does help it does help uh, his his work
0: yeah i'm actually really interested we were talking before about the evolution of some words and how it becomes to mean the opposite and and then people can start um, labeling themselves with what was previously a negative one. And the N-word, which I'm not going to say, I'll just refer to it as the N-word, is fascinating. People are fascinated, confused uh, with the fact that it's, it's um, perhaps the most taboo word in our culture. My son is uh, a basketball player, and he plays with a bunch of black kids, and he said they drop it all the time. And he said, I almost feel like they're daring me to say it, but I never would. I said, good, don't.
1: No, don't. Yeah. Yeah. Those are actually two completely different words that, uh, right from the slavery days, there was a separate uh, N-word that, you know, rhymes with ninja. So That's the way I say it. Well, it doesn't really rhyme with ninja, but I (laughs) I say ninja for that one. And uh, that meant dude, uh, guy, uh, without any negative connotation. So uh, and that one has been around since the days of slavery. It was used uh, uh, even among black slaves with each other. And it's actually evolved in a whole bunch of meanings now. So there's a dozen meanings. Uh, there's a, a linguist called Taylor Jones that's documented dozens of his meanings, and it's quite striking. So it'll be used something like uh, one meaning that's evolved is uh, "a ninja" means uh, "me." So a ninja is hungry means I'm hungry, and um, wow, uh, this is really common. And so it's come to be so uh, we call it semantically bleached. You know, it's kind of been washed away from its uh, meaning, and it doesn't even mean guy anymore. And that's just one of many meanings that it can. And it can even it doesn't even refer to black people anymore. So there's this white ninja in my classroom that got you know such and such grade and so on. I actually have. Uh, piece on the n word um, online it's it's been pretty widely read it's and I go over how this word is really very different from the er word and the the n word that ends with er that ends right. with uh, trigger say um, that one both among blacks and among whites is just so uh, unbelievably offensive it's it's by far like like off the charts offensive in North America like it's there's right. nothing more offensive in the English word in the English language it's like the nuclear bomb of of words. And so much so that among Blacks, that word is hardly ever, ever used, ever, with the, the, the E-R word. Okay. It's a completely different word. And now the, the reason why the word, uh, the, the other N-word, the ninja word, can't be used by whites is it's too close to that other one. Right. And so it just can't be brought in, and even if you're surrounded by people. And in my article, I emphasize the fact that Eminem is a good example, somebody who's just surrounded by that word in his music, by his peers. And it has zero, zero negative connotations to it. Uh, the, the N-word that's like ninja. Right. But he, he still would never use it because he's not, uh, There's just it's just too risky that he be uh, associated with that, uh, that word that some whites use throughout.
0: So is there a common trajectory or evolution of words like that?
1: Uh, I mean, the general theme is is one where people will uh, take away the sting of a word by using it among themselves. So if it's a word that's meant to uh, be wielded against wheeled against you, if you start using it with each other, it does take away a bit of the bite. It loses its um, power. Yeah, but it doesn't quite... That, that doesn't quite apply in the case of the n-word because the um the n-word even the one that rhymes with trigger uh, actually acquired more of its negative meaning more recently so it, it used to be a pretty neutral descriptive term for black people in the same way that people were referring to black people as negroes or right. something like that right uh, and so the the negative association it, it came it, it came from the way people were using the word uh, right and that got to that association got worse over time um so you'll sometimes read some old literature from the 1800s where it, it really they're not i mean they're using the n-word the one that rhymes with trigger but there's no sense that they're wielding it like a an explosive uh, taboo word right it's, it's, um, and so it picked that up over time and, and on the other hand the just everyday meaning uh, that ninja that other word uh, was also documented way back in the slavery days and again it had no negative meanings at the time it just meant guy and it still does that's the most common use of the word and it's like unbelievably frequent so uh, Taylor Jones that I mentioned he did a survey of black Twitter uh, was his uh, people that are black that use Twitter and yep. and found that it was just by far the most distinctive word it's used like at an unbelievable rate the, yep. the word ninja And the most common use is just as guy. Uh, It's also used uh, very affectionately uh, with my, so my ninja would be uh, my bud. And uh, so you'll find a a, a girl referring to her boyfriend as my ninja, come here, that sort of thing. And it's just been completely bleached of its negative content. Uh, There's another uh, theory about how these things happen which uh, I'm sympathetic to, but again, I don't think it applies to the N-word, um, is that the meanings are complicated. I alluded to that a little bit with the word shit, um, where there's something real and raw about shit that mm-hmm. you can build off. Yep. And so what happens is the word the N-word comes to be associated with um, stereotypes of black people. Uh. And a lot of them are very negative. But some of them are kind of—they're uh, still negative in my mind because they're stereotypes. And yet, um, you can kind of see them as, uh, uh, think, especially among men, there be desiderata—things that you know you strive for. Uh, so, like athleticism, musical ability, uh, strength, prowess, uh, right. creativity—and uh, again, these are stereotypes. Uh, but even the most uh, racist people will. Associate some po- again, it's still negative because there's stereotypes, but they'll associate those positive meanings with that word, right? In addition to the negative meanings, oh. what happens is you can take those meanings and run with those, um, and then those more positive meanings come to be associated with that word. And now, of course, only an in group can get away with this. It happened with uh, queer, I mean, famously, uh, that people uh, and gay, too. Um, so, gay did used to have a more negative meaning, right. Um, and queer as well and you could even, um, in the case of queer you can see it's negative meaning but um, the, uh, I, it started with the in-group taking on some of the positive uh, connotations of that and they really are there, I mean there's something about being different and unique and not uh, boring, normal uh, uh, not so,
0: conforming, not conforming. Yeah,
1: there's something really fun about knocking down barriers. Again, we're back to that, that old division between certain people. And, and in that case, uh, it's, it was a word that outsiders, so I'm able to say queer, for instance, even though I'm, uh, I'm kind of the, the, the boring uh, non-queer. Um, <laughs> but I'm able to use it because... You're a conformist. conformist. I mean, that's a great example of how this thing was just really successfully removed uh that that happened with gay too so um and you know, when i was younger to, to call something gay was definitely derogatory but not anymore uh the success varies with this sort of thing so like there's uh in toronto there's the slut walk for instance which is trying to take the shame the sting away from that so back to the n-word the ninja form that which again has no negative connotations at all and it's used in all sorts of interesting ways that have nothing to do with uh, e- even being black uh, because it can just be used for, it can even use, be used for animals, like you can say, like a cat that just jump. you know, this white cat that just, you know, uh, a black person can say, uh, that, that ninja survived that fall, I can't believe it, you know, just be, uh, just referring to a creature.
0: So, but and back so to your point, a, a black person could say that, and no one would think twice about it, but if a white person did, everyone's head would spin, did that person just say the ninja word or the trigger word?
1: Right. Well, it's well in that case. It's because in in white English we literally don't have that ninja word. It's just not there. It's it's blocked from entering our language by this other er word, the n word that ends with er. Right. And Cause because it's because of that that when we hear that word, we associate it with the only word we have. Right. And we associate with the basically we only have n word They have tons of n words, and the the n uh... word, that, the only one we have in their language you could almost say isn't part of their language. Right. There's, there's zero use for black people. It's such an awful word. Why would they even have it? So it's what we call a faux ami, and, and you remember uh, in between French and English, it's a, it's a term that comes from, English has borrowed so many words from French. The point is that uh, we end up with lots and lots of words uh, that are French in English, and it, so it gives, English speakers, in particular, a false sense of confidence that they understand French. Mm. But then you'll often end up with these... Faux uh, amis, it's like a false friend, like black English, black vernacular English versus white English. It's like, well, this is English, so of course I understand it. And then the association is directly in your head. going to say that it's not just blacks that, uh, that can... Um, use this term because it's been extended by other groups. So uh, Hispanics will often get away with using the N-word a lot. There's a uh. lot of Hispanics. And, and you'll, uh, I mean, the most striking examples are rappers who, who will use the N-word, and then you look at some of them in the videos, and like, wow, that guy's so white. Like, I'm kind of surprised that he can get away with it. I mean, a, a good current example is Logic, who's, who's black, but just, you, you never guess. And then others that are, Hispanic, but then when you look into them, turns out both their parents were actually European uh, Hispanic, and then so there's like they're, they're technically uh, Latinos that are using the N word, and and um, but they share the common experience with um, African Americans of being right. kind of uh, minorities within uh, a white society. So, so
0: I want to ask you. I'm really interested in in um, lists that hopefully will completely describe a phenomenon and one of them is motivations for swearing yeah, is there a uh, list of motivations so you, t- you said when your dad's working on the car I'm guessing that's either pain or frustration
1: yeah it tends to be more negative um, but it, it can also be um, uh, positive so like a an exclamation of of awe of, of excitement over something and so it's 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 it is pure pure emotion right and, um, and and the reason why it's good to focus on those is neither of those are necessarily negative in relation to other people so there, there's two really interesting aspects about swear words is that on the one hand the most offensive swear words nowadays the ones that young people just consider just beyond the pale all have to do with uh, derogatory Derogating, especially minorities, right? yeah just sexual minorities, racial mm-hmm. minorities, mm-hmm. Uh, 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 sexism. You know, extreme. Um, like, the, right after the N word is the C word for women. Like, it's right. just it's so offensive. Yeah. And so uh, derogating, especially uh, the ones that are uh, less powerful, let's say. Yeah. In, in society, and so that uh, those terms are so offensive, meaning that people don't don't use those words. The, the words that people do use uh, are. Um, might be expressing negative meaning but not necessarily towards somebody right like it would be against the you know the the damn car the fucking car or something like that is and it's not i mean it's it's not like the my dad loves his car he's just it's just he's frustrated with with that and he's not derogating the car it's an inanimate object and then on the the plus side um you get uh, you know get in the fucking car it just shows that you're very serious like you know you're you're trying to be, I'm really serious. You get in the fucking car. You need to get in the car now. It's There's no sense that the car is being derogated. It's just, it conveys the intensity. Right. This is where it really or happens. even the
0: person you're talking to, they're not being denigrated either. In simple terms, maybe a cat- one way of categorizing, and this is, may have been done, or it may be way too simple, but there, it's a two by two where you have positive and negative, and then you have other directed and not other directed or even self-directed right so it's it's like get in the fucking car is negative but it's not really other directed right versus the n-word and the c-word are negative and definitely other directed and particularly minority directed right so it's like the extreme corner of that two by two right
1: and that is that is not cool in everyday conversation to use that you've um... Uh, especially nowadays, you've um, you've created something that's just completely unacceptable, you know, which is exciting, right? Because it means that uh, swear words do change a little bit. We can get back to that, but the the words that are considered most offensive now are all these words that derogate and put down, especially uh, mm. minorities. So uh, people that are persecuted or uh, put upon mm. or, or powerless, and I, I find that really encouraging. And then. the the example of fucking as an intensifier like in the fucking car this is fucking awesome that is by far the most common one used among young people and like really by far now there is this residue though of um the use of curse like a curse originates in this sense i mean part of it is religious but not always it it predates uh, you know like judeo christian religions and, and so on it's like uh, witchcraft shit shit on your head or something like that or whatever you know old curse that somebody come up with right. it's like a it's a desire for something bad to happen to somebody that you're annoyed with you know right. and, and so you have like fuck you now and fuck you was actually a fairly recent development that started around the 1900s hmm. um but but you know before that it was you know damn you say uh, it's Taking somebody and wanting something bad or or they don't even have to be there it could be, you know, like the hell with him or something like that. And those those are feelings, negative feelings that you are pairing with somebody. And it was interesting because my dad, the reason my dad gave up swearing is because, you know, in his religious text, it was talking a lot of against cursing. Right. And so what I tried to show him is that that's not the way you have ever used a swear word. I mean, right. record all my dad's swear words, and he never used it to curse somebody. You know, you'll, you'll find, I mean, people will curse themselves, they'll say, fuck me, you know, like, just... I say
0: that a lot. lot. I say that a it's, lot. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's not even towards somebody, and so what? the reason why that's so fascinating is because it's not only slurs, but it's not even in the, the more uh, old-fashioned sense, you know, damnation be upon you or something. Well, people don't even do that as much anymore. But of course, they do sometimes. There's Go to hell. Times when people do it, and then so this is where the research of uh, Timothy J. who's just a great um, person to read on swear words. I, I really yeah. enjoy his, his work. Yeah. Um, he he did tons of studies looking at public use of swear words, and he, he had uh, one big collection. He had him and his a few colleagues in in, in eighty six, and then again in um, uh, ninety seven and then again 10 years later in 2006, and I, I believe he has a, a newer one in 2016, so basically every 10 years, yeah. and so he collected like literally tens of thousands of public incidents of swearing, yeah. and like, first of all, um, not one of, like unbelievably, not one of them ever led to any kind of physical violence or conflict that he obs- ever observed, which mm. is unbelievable, unbelievable. And, and most of them, like by far the vast majority, have to do with humor. It's creating. Uh, ah. So even if somebody did say "fuck you," it's like you know, it's among friends or something like that, uh, and it's it's a moment of levity. Ah. And then even in those cases where it was negatives, so like somebody saying "fuck you," well, it's it's in his mind. Uh, he he said it's better than a physical conflict because people exchange a few words, and it was in lieu of an actual conflict that resulted in could result in physical harm. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that words can't. You know, cause harm, but uh, his point was that it didn't result in uh, like a serious uh, conflict. There's right. a, a YouTube video going around, I'm sure you've seen it, where there's two guys giving each other the finger. I, have you seen that one? No. I, oh, I have to send it to you. It's like a showdown, people across the street, where they're just giving each other the finger in silence. And it's like the most intense fight you've ever seen, but of course nothing ha- nothing happens. It's a nice example of how um, it, it can be a substitute for fighting. Uh, uh, the other reason why people uh, um, will swear the other reason why people swear is to draw on um, uh, draw strength on that part that's not rational like the, you know to call more on your your gut and your, that part of your brain that can it, the fight or flight response creates the extra energy you need to uh, either you know fight or run away at top speed. Right. And so what's been found, of course, is that uh, people that swear in that moment, Will uh, be um, uh, more more enduring. Uh, they can perform better under right. duress.
0: It fires adrenaline in your system. Do you think?
1: Oh yeah, it does yeah. everything. It, so it gets your blood pumping. It pu- your adrenaline uh, your adrenaline's pumping. So your heart rate is increased. Your pupils dilate. You start to sweat. It's very raw in that way. And the reason why that's so interesting is all those physical responses to the swear word, like fuck, like. That, that that are generated in your body they're independent of meaning uh, or context so, uh. so for instance uh, all the things i just described could be in the context of a very aggressive fight with somebody where somebody said something really cut you off in traffic and you know was very rude to you and so if you swear all those physical responses i described could be in response to something very negative including leading to a fight or running away from somebody who's about to Shoot you or something, but there's the same physical response you'd have like during sex, like or during uh, something really positive, where somebody says "fuck." And what's interesting, even when they say "fuck" uh. during sex, they don't actually mean uh, <laughs>
0: sex. sex. They don't mean In sex. In
1: that case, right? <laughs> uh, like, like uh, it's it's so fascinating. Like, uh. Uh, it's been found that people almost never, ever ref- use the word "fuck" or "fucking" for the physical act. Or reference to that it's almost never used for that but what those do is it activates your bodily response is the same or if you see something like just um absolutely amazing and you swear like fuck or or something shocking happens that's negative right uh, the physical response is the same so it's all about context
0: okay and what
1: that means is you can't really um take the swear word and ascribe it one interpretation like oh it's used as a curse to against God or something like right. that. Right. You, Fascinating. It's not, it's not a good interpretation of, of swear words at all. It's more direct, uh, right out of the limbic system.
0: So a question uh, related back to the physical responses. You were talking about them uh, on behalf of the communicator. What about the people around them?
1: Yeah, and people underestimate how much language is about that anyhow. Because um, th- there's a great book that, that I recommend on... Um, how language is used as opposed to how people think it's used ah. It's by my colleague at uh, the university of alberta and uh he it's called figurative language okay uh, using using figurative language and uh, he talks about the whole book is on uh why don't people just say what they mean mm. you know and and it turns out people don't say what they mean and his examples of that are uh the Huge overrepresentation of uh, things like metaphors, similes, uh, hyperbole, uh, understatement, yep. uh, irony, you know, sarcasm, and this is well known from the field of pragmatics more generally. Language is not used to, well, it can be used for this, but it's not, its main use is to um, communicate information between people. That's not the main use of language. Language is mainly used to uh, figure out. Uh, your interpersonal relationships uh, Mm. where you stand in society relative to other people because that's the other thing it's amazing to me we were talking about the right brain earlier we don't actually know what we're trying to convey that's what's like the the rational brain's always trying to catch up
0: so back to profanity then though in this context is profanity like the punctuation in this discourse
1: Great! It intensifies. It's just super. It intensifies either positively, like fucking awesome, or uh, like fucking awful. Um, it, it intensifies negatively or positively. It's uh, it's very useful that way. Yeah, that's its main use. Like, it, just speaking quantitatively, but it also has lots of other useful uh, uh, social signaling uh, use. Uh, so it's this whole business about in group and out group. There's some comfort um in using a swear word with you it means that i'm we're equals and uh, so for instance mm. if you put like a working class person with like their boss the boss is able to swear but the working class guy who actually technically swears more because he's working class um uh, more likely he's more likely to swear more wouldn't swear with the boss because of the the dynamics there Whereas Right. If, if the the employee was swearing at the boss, and the and the boss would respond, uh, in, uh, then you you're kind of treating yourself as more equal. Meaning you've set up some environment where you're on the both part of an in group. This is something that you know politicians famously play with. They'll they'll use swear words to try to relate. And even though you can kind of tell, yeah, it's not scripted really coming to them easily. Like yeah. if Hillary Clinton swears or something, you're like, it oh, feels cringy yeah. or something.
0: She and Bill aren't swearing. No.
1: Yeah. yeah it's just a little bit they're trying too hard or something like that and yet uh somebody might appreciate the effort of trying to relate to them and yeah. on top of that it's uh, the the words you choose say a whole lot about you too there are certain swear words that are used more by younger people than older people and certain swear words are used more by uh males and females certain swear words that are like if you say bloody for instance that makes you kind of canadian or more brit right than, than american right so you can signal a whole lot about yourself. And so it's not, again, not about communicating information. is about figuring out how we relate to each other. Right. And uh, once you understand that that's actually one of the main points of language, uh, swearing just makes a whole lot of sense as a, as a tool. Yeah,
0: I want to leave the listeners with maybe some tips or just general thoughts about what to think about in the context of should i swear or should i not and there are pros and cons are there rules or tips that you can think of that people should keep in mind um when they are conscious of their language and deciding whether they should swear or not
1: definitely it's risky to swear you're telling saying a lot about yourself um, we talked a little bit earlier about how some people are more likely to swear and so they're like extroverts for instance and so if you want to inform somebody that you're an extrovert you swear but people also know that it's more dominant people that that swear rather Mm -hmm. than more i don't want to call them submissive or uh also i'm sorry to say that it's people that are more negative so um and particularly in men uh, men that are more neurotic swear more and so as always there's um, pros and cons so even when you're using figurative language like a metaphor or a simile or a hyperbole or something there's a high cost of you being misunderstood so there has to be some kind of bang for your buck there's a reason why people still do like that instead of just conveying just the facts just information so there's a cost to pay and so you're basically revealing a lot about yourself um, and also um um, people that swear are less constrained; uh, they're more disagreeable. Uh. You know, like a scale of agreeableness, and so it means that um, you're also telling your boss that there's you're somebody that's uh, a little bit nonconformist, that's can be harder to get along with, and and uh, which is ironic because the swearing creates a nice uh, social. Uh, ice breaking too. So it's, it's, it's very risky and you have to be very socially skilled to know when to swear and when not to swear. I mean, that's, that's the risk. Now, the other thing too, is that there's a lot of myths associated with swearing and some of them are true, uh, but some of them are not. So,
0: so what are the ones that are not true?
1: Well, like, you know, that people swear because they don't have a large vocabulary, right? Or, or that uh, swearing is because they're called curse words. It's uh, it's like you're cursing. It, you know, people that have. If you're interacting with somebody who um, who has a strong religious background, so uh, swearing is uh, inversely correlated with religiosity. And so, if your right. your boss or your the person you're interacting with is religious and you swear, uh, you're you're singling to them. So, okay, and well. as pe- ironically that you're signaling to them that uh, you're feeding into uh, some... It's not actually true that um, people use curse words. It's like you're invoking the devil or cursing people, damning and so on, or talking about filthy thing, you know, sex and uh, things that you aren't supposed to talk about. It's not actually true. And yet, uh, people believe that so they will associate that with you. Uh.
0: Like, all
1: these myths... Like, it doesn't matter if... Scientists show that it's actually not true. It's actually the opposite. People that that have the most swears also have the most vocabulary because they're more highly verbal. It, 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 the scientific facts don't matter. What matters is the prejudices that people have. Ah. And they, like, people aren't researchers in the use of swear words. They they associate this. And um, it's, so you're, you're really doing a risk, uh, risking a lot by, by using it. I wanted to come back to the, the fact that slurs are, um, are now the, the most offensive taboo topic, and in terms of categorizing things, we just talked about kind of religious moralistic codes, and then um, uh, sex, and then uh, body functions, fluids, and so on, and, uh, and slurs is its own category. Uh, I, I think that slurs can also be grouped now in, into almost a quasi-religious aspect among young people. There's a a great article by John McWhorter talking about how PC is now kind of like a religion. Uh, I would say a lot of young people aren't religious anymore, but that's their kind of counterpart of religion. It's really popular among, especially the younger generation, if somebody is part of this minority that really gives them the right to, say, use this word as opposed to somebody else. So it's, it's very hard to track. I mean the way language is used in a social context is just unbelievably complicated it's like why would you take the risk to do that or say that yeah and but it, there must be an incredible bang for your butt and uh, that's why swearing will never disappear it'll always be around and these the same words have been around for forever like always just the, the same top 10 words just they don't seem to change much at all oh really it was uh, fuck shit hell damn goddamn jesus christ ass oh my god bitch and sucks and those were the the ones that were uh the most frequent and so he was specifically excluding um some of the 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 slurs um but even bitch does survive in there yeah and that's a slur and it really hasn't been improved over time like people haven't managed to give it a new life like queer or gay or you know, the N words. Part of my research is due to the fact that I, I work with um, um, rap music. And oh. w- in my rap linguistics course, I have students look at different um, swear words and taboo words. And uh, words like bitch continue to be used just really like overwhelming negatively yeah. in, in lyrics. Whereas other terms, you can see people are turning them around and using them more positively. Mm-hmm. I mean another term in that that list is sucks right which is it has all the right sounds like that's an age thing like sucks i think is dropped out now where it'd be uh, you can say that sucks even at the highest level political meeting would just be fine so i think that's one that's changed but uh, fuck and shit alone were uh, like one third uh, to one half of all of their data right and and i think uh, they grouped fuck with fucking um and so um so-
0: george carlin's list of seven words you can't say on television fuck and motherfucker are both on the list and apparently he was challenged about that and he took it he took motherfucker off the list for a while and then he put it back on and he has this whole riff about why it belongs on the list and it's back probably back to what you're saying about the word fuck is all these things motherfucker is about incest right so <laughs> yeah yeah it has that uh,
1: but again it's, it's used so, so affectionately all the time you know like a, a, or. You know, as I was saying earlier, this uh, it hurts like a motherfucker. You know, it's just it's used uh, as a intensifier or as an exclamative, and and I mean these terms, uh, God, they're used in so many exciting ways. Um, even like the word shit, for instance, the Byron Ann is a a Princeton prof. was done some research on that, showing how you know how you can say uh, I know shit, meaning I know stuff, but and, I, and then if I tell somebody, you know, uh, he knows shit, like it means. He doesn't know anything right and so where you put where you put the uh, uh, I guess the emphasis the accent can change the meaning completely And and fuck is is very similar where um, we tend to put less accents on verbs so fuck is technically a verb so you know um, but if you if you create um, if you add a preposition after it like um, up or off or something then you can put more uh, emphasis on the verb so this is something that Byron N has documented so when you say, uh, like, fuck off, you can you can actually have emphasis on the verb in that case. Whereas if you say, uh, you know, John fucked Mary, uh, there's no actual uh, stress on the verb, but that's uh, accent. There's a bit of stress, but there's no accent. So John fucked Mary. The, we tend to put accent more on the nouns, the participants. Right. Right. And so uh, what you'll find is people will... Turn fuck into a noun to, so they can now have that accent again like what the fuck by changing to a the It now has that accent that it normally wouldn't have uh. And and so what uh, the way people play around with these words is is really something to to behold and it's It's fascinating there. There's um, uh, they, they play with the both of the, the grammar. So something like uh, you know the uh, 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 fucking cause uh, Kind of inversion, or uh, you know, uh, fuck that was wonderful, or uh, fuck is it uh, stunning, or something like that, where it it will create different constructions, and then uh, people will use those words in contexts that are often quite poetic. That just replaces those expressions. Like uh, an expression that's kind of poetic is like "I kid you not," which is a nice little iambic. You know, "I kid you not." Yeah. Uh, and so, but you can use shitless. So I shit you not. You know, I shit.
0: You oh not. wow. And
1: it's on the basis of the vowels matching. And then um, when you say, you know, shut the fuck up, you know, like you see how all of those have the same vowels, like shut the fuck up. It's called assonance. And uh, and then um, people will play with not just the grammar, but the poetry of it. So there's assonance on the one hand, uh, which is what brings people, those words together in a way that people find pleasing. Yeah. I am so definitely going to be
0: listening to swears differently. I think, to be honest, I used to listen from a perspective of of negative judgment, right? So you have no self-control or you're not educated. Now I'm going to be listening with a much more open mind because I think in a way, the way you're talking about... Using profanity as so, and the other thing that I'm getting from this um, that I that I n- had never thought of before is I love your, I share your optimism now that we've come to a point in our culture where the most profane words are denigrating minorities. I love that too. Okay, I'm gonna fire I'm gonna fire my five rapid fire questions at you. Question number one: What are your pet peeves? It, no, I I think. Uh...
1: Dishonesty, you know, mm. like that's that's really um, somebody who's not being truthful. Okay. Because uh, I just don't don't
0: know where I stand. Second question is, and this is an interesting one for someone who's a linguist. What type of learner are you? Visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or something else?
1: Right. Right. You know, this this whole. Uh, Categorization of people has been poo-pooed a little bit in the research recently, but I don't agree like I've looked over the research And I found that there's really something to it that it's just just because people have said oh, that the Learners don't really fall into visual auditory or et cetera anymore. It just means they found maybe better categories Unfortunately, some of the best research in this area seems to have gotten rid of the category that I fit in most is auditory Like I I'm a very auditory person. I listen to um, audiobooks and uh, I'm an avid user of Siri uh, you know where you get your phone yep. to read you the, the article or the news and she's, she's, she's amazing. Like, um, you just say, uh, you know, hey, I won't say her name cause my phone will go off, uh, speak, screen, or, or, uh, and, and then, um, she'll just read the whole thing to me. Um, and I also use text aloud, which is a text to speech software. I would
0: have guessed you're an auditory learner. I think most people who are drawn to language probably are. Next question. Introvert or extrovert? You already answered.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely extrovert. Yeah.
0: Uh, number four, communication preference for personal conversations.
1: Yeah, face to face. I just can't. Um, it takes me too long to craft a text or a really? mail or anything else. Really, I, I really. And so even if it is um, with electronics, it has to be FaceTime. Interesting. Yeah, I, I really need to see see people. And and in fact, that's the way. I'll, even at work too. Like I, I can't. I hate uh, preparing tons of written feedback on something. I prefer to just meet face-to-face with a student or something. There's so many ways of being misinterpreted uh, when you write, whether to choose to write WTF or not or something you could you know you don't really know the person until you're kind of in front of them Right and, and then they can understand your intention too. There's so many ways in which things can go wrong in writing That's it's right missing all that that uh, prosodic information too like that I was talking about you know the difference between uh, you, n- you know shit versus you know shit. I mean, right. that's just it's missing I think it's really important that we don't lose that and there's fascinating research on, on language learning showing that uh, people learn a second language uh, this happens with uh, new immigrants to Canada or, or the States where they, they, they can't get it just from TV or radio or whatever. They have to be interacting with an English, a physical English person. It seems like everything is there in the electronic medium, but it's not good enough. Right. You need That's... the physical body presence of the person in front of you to, to learn the language.
0: Hmm. Last question. Is there a podcast, a blog or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending the most to your friends and family? Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Oh, I'm, like, very broadly a huge fan of of YouTube, which includes podcasts. I just, I love the long-form format. People will have these two, three, some of these four-hour interviews. I just, I adore them. They're just great. Anything... They're poor quality. But, well, like, for instance, that's where I came across this Ian McGill Christ guy, precisely because I didn't have an audio version of his book, The Master and the Emissary, but you get a, a sense of the author through interviews, and then... From there, you um, you might pick up their book and so on. Hmm. But a, a blog I should mention because on swear words it's called Strong Language. Strong Language. It's okay. a really great blog on um, swear words. Uh, content warning, there of course, but um, I really recommend that one. Okay. Yeah.
0: Great. Is there anything else you want to add about swearing, profanity, cussing?
1: Oh my goodness, we've. Uh, We've touched on so many things. Yeah. So, yeah <laughs> I don't know. Nothing, nothing comes to mind right now.
0: If uh, somebody, if somebody wants to um, reach out and ask you a question directly, should, how should yeah, they? Yeah,
1: that's fine. Just uh, email me uh, at, the, at the university and.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'll, I, p- uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, can I ask you one other question? I pr- I promise you, this is the last question I'm going to ask you. It's fine. Yeah. Did you have rules in your house when your kids were younger about swearing? And if you were going to do it all over again today and you had, you know, toddlers that were learning to speak. Are swear words against the rules in your house? I'm just curious.
1: The way they arose with us is um, very early um a couple of my kids mispronounced words, and you know, famous one like truck would come out as fuck, or, or frog would come out as fuck, or something like that, yep. or, or um, trick would come out as shit, or I don't know. They're just, like, and we would laugh, or you know, get them to repeat it over and over again. And so, <laughs> what they did, was, even from a young age, they develop a, a, an association that when I say this word, it seems to have this power mm. to make everybody go or laugh, or whatever. And so, they they um. I think they picked up those words, and then, uh, but they didn't use them very much. I mean, it really depends on their personality, right? So, my two oldest ones are somewhat introverted, and but it'll it'll show up under um, like when they're getting their flu shot or something. You know, uh, my daughter will fuck, you know, just like sort kind of pain as a release or yeah. something. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I have a seven-year-old who, you know, we when he said fuck uh, a couple of times we we're trying to create uh, a sense of well it's, it's kind of a, a hard balance because you we don't want him to use that word because other people will judge him in our case because the uh, my youngest daughter is autistic i think we're a little bit more sensitive because we want to we don't want her to be in a situation where she uses a swear word um that's not socially appropriate and she can't quite figure that out so we try to avoid Swearing around her, in particular, because we just don't want her to have to try to figure out when I can use it or not use it. Huh. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tricky question because the but the more you repress it and, and stomp on it, uh, the worse it the word the more power you give the word. Right. That's literally, how swear words are created. Swear words are learned as these really magical, you know, powerful words. As a kid, and nobody in life later on tells you that they actually don't have all that power. It's just—it's just a word. As a whole, society considers them to be quite powerful words, even though there's nothing intrinsic to them that—they're
0: just sounds coming out of your mouth, right? Yeah, that's it. So, thank you so, so much for your time and sharing your expertise. Well, that was fun. Thanks to Darren. I definitely think differently about profanity now. I learned so much from that interview. I hope you did too. Darren referenced several academic researchers and papers, all of which you'll find in the show notes. I've also included links to some of his research and interviews there. More generally, though, I'd like to leave you with just a few meta-learnings from this episode. First, the myths. People have a lot of misconceptions about swearing. For example, people say that people swear because they don't have a large vocabulary. I've actually told my kids this, but in fact, as Darren says, people that have the most swears also have the most vocabulary and they're more highly verbal. Got it. Another myth is that people who are using profanity are cursing. They're cursing God and invoking the devil. Also, not true. The second main takeaway from this episode is with regards to personalities. Of course there are exceptions, but research shows that sweariness, and I love that word, sweariness, is correlated with extroversion, with riskiness, with dominance, with being disagreeable, and nonconformity. You got that? So people who swear might be extroverted, risk-seeking, dominant, disagreeable, nonconformists. Hmm. That sounds risky to me. I'm not sure we want to be communicating all of these things. Which actually is another of Darren's main points. He mentioned a few times that swearing can be risky. Swearing can break the ice. It certainly makes people relax a bit, but it can also be risky. It's kind of like using metaphors, or similes, or hyperbole. It's expressive, but risky. And last, I think my favorite point from this whole interview... Darren mentioned a few times that these days, the most profane, the most offensive words in the English language are the ones that are derogatory to minorities. In fact, those are the profanities that Darren himself refuses to say. Think about that for a moment. Isn't that just wonderful? We now live in a society where the worst possible things that you can say, the most profane expressions, are derogatory towards minorities. I love that. It makes me feel optimistic. That reminds me, I found the video that Darren referenced where there are two guys giving each other the finger. It made me laugh out loud. Check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. I wonder what they were fighting about. And, as Darren said, it makes you thankful that the middle finger seemed to suffice in this battle. There's a link to it in the show notes, as I said. Okay, that's all I have for you today. Thanks again to Darren for educating us about profanity. It truly was a pleasure. Now, I would love to hear what you think about this. Did you learn anything? Please email me or let me know on social media. Thank you. And thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And I'd really, really love it if you would subscribe to the weekly email blog. Just go to talkabouttalk.com to easily sign up for the blog and to access all of the past blogs and the podcasts. All right. That's it. Thanks again for listening, and talk soon.